Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme Tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too. Welcome everyone. I am really happy today. We have a um, really awesome guest speaker. Her name is Emmeline Beltran and she's going to be talking to us on the topic of being a grad student with a disability. And like I do um, with every guest speaker, I'm going to go ahead and get started by reading her bio. Emmeline Beltran is a second year graduate student at California State University, Los Angeles in pursuit of her Master of Arts in Communication Studies. Her primary research interests are in intercultural and organizational communication patterns in health and higher education, and she aspires to work in communication, research, or programming roles in those fields. She has worked with and conducted research on many diverse populations, including undocumented college students, K-16 students with disabilities, and pediatric cancer families. Her experiences as a survivor of leukemia, which resulted into a permanent visual impairment, was a prefigure to her current educational and career goals. Welcome so much, <laughs> Emmeline. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> yes, it's so nice to have you on. So I just want to kind of be honest with the audience, <laughs> open and upfront. This is take two. We had a little bit of uh, some internet um, issues, uh, so we're trying this out again. Hopefully, this will be an even better conversation. And so I want you to get us started by telling us a little bit more about yourself, your background, your life trajectory, essentially everything that led you to this point of pursuing your master's program. I just read your bio, and I'm like, there's so much there. If you could let us know a little bit more. Yeah, of course. So to expand on where you left off, I did let I did have leukemia. I had leukemia when I was four and I've been in remission since I was seven and I'm pretty healthy right now. Um, but something that did come out of chemotherapy was my vision impairment. So I was actually nearsighted before I had cancer and I've been wearing glasses since I was two. But after chemotherapy, I developed a condition called nystagmus and nystagmus is when your pupils shake vigorously. So for me, it's it seems still, but outside looking in, people tell me all the time that my pupils will not stop shaking. So nystagmus on top of being nearsighted and having astigmatism resulted into low vision. And low vision is when I have a, um, it ha my vision is compromised and I can't have it fixed even if I wear glasses or contacts. So I've had accommodations in the classroom since I was in first grade. And having cancer at such an early age, I was always put in a position where I always had to explain myself, whether it was with teachers or classmates, I had to explain why I was always absent or why I needed to sit in the front of the classroom. And at the time when I was younger, it was very difficult because I was six years old and then I had to break down cancer and visual disabilities to six-year-olds also. Um, so my public speaking skills at the time, they were just, um, they were put to the test for sure because of this experience. It did get better as I grew up, but something I also noticed as I grew up was that there are a lot of 
flyers and videos and I would have to speak up for myself and say like I can't see this flyer this font is too small or the colors don't contrast well so all those experiences where I had to keep advocating for myself I realized that I was going to do this for pretty much the rest of my life so when I was applying for colleges I instantly fell in love with the communications major because their intention is to um, design intentional messages no matter what the audience so because I had to um, pick that skill up at such an early age that's what inspired me to pursue communications both in undergrad and grad school it's um it's so interesting to hear you talk about this once more because I feel like I can um, understand it a little bit better um, basically like what led you to the communications major after having to advocate for yourself over and over and over again and you can continue to having to do so as well now that you're in grad school. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more um, before you talk about navigating grad school with a disability, maybe some of the differences in advocating for yourself um, in K through 12 versus now that you're in college because I, I am familiar with um, how you had an IEP before, so an individual education plan, and maybe some of your teachers might have had, maybe, maybe, I'm, I'm making assumptions, maybe they might have had more training with how to accommodate you, whereas with college professors, it's, it's unclear what you're going to get, and sometimes they have, they, they may have not had this experience before, yeah. Yeah, of course. So when I was in first grade, I actually didn't know that I had this vision impairment, but my first grade teacher, teacher, she thankfully picked up how I was squinting. And even if I was in the front of the classroom, I couldn't even see the whiteboard. I was leaning too closely into my textbook. So she referred me to a vision specialist. And then once the vision specialist, my teacher and my parents touched base. And at the time, I was still diagnosed with cancer. So my mom touched base with my care team. And it was revealed that I had developed nystagmus. And then at, then I was classified as someone with low vision. So because I was so young, even I was unaware. And having an IEP, um, it involves a lot of people. Like my parents were involved different teachers, um, because in middle and high school, that's when you start to have multiple teachers, but a vision specialist, and depending on um, anyone's disability, it could also include like a speech therapist, um, just anyone who sees fit to provide accommodations for the student. So when I was younger, um, I would say that um, my parents and my teachers, they kind of spoke up more for me based on what they observed. But as I got older, they did have to ask me more questions like, is this okay? Is this too big? Are you comfortable sitting in this part of the classroom? And I noticed as I got older, I had to speak up more and really communicate what I needed. Um, so I would say that was a big difference, but going into college and even grad school, there are no IEPs. So that's when the independence and the advocacy really relies on yourself. So that's a perfect segue then for us to have you talk a little bit more about how you have been navigating graduate school with a disability. Um, you know, since like you said, there are no IEPs, your parents are no longer directly involved because of HIPAA reasons and <laughs> because you're an adult. <laughs> so um, 
Yeah, tell us a little bit more about what it's been like, especially in light of the pandemic and all the recent instructional changes we've been through as well. Yeah, so I did start my master's program in fall 2020, and that was when the pandemic basically started. So when I was confirming my admission to Cal State LA, um, the first thing I did was immediately enroll in disability services. That way when classes started, I could notify my professors immediately, like I need accommodations, I need this in the classroom. Um, and just having all of that done online, it was pretty challenging because um, one, with my vision disability, I can't be on the screen for too long um, because it does like strain my eyes. I know it strains like a lot everyone's eyes, to be honest. But um, so just going on the website, doing all the registration online and not being able to meet the counselors and staff was pretty challenging because I feel like um, when I was able to go into the offices, I was able to develop that connection, but it just ended up being like multiple like back-to-back -back Zoom meetings. Um, and that was pretty difficult. And it actually tested my independence more because this was new to me too. I had to tell my professors like, hey, typically if I were in the classroom, I would require sitting in front of the class and having large print textbook. But because we're on Zoom, I had to be honest, I don't know what I need right now until something comes up. And along the school year, there were multiple things that came up where I had to notify my professors and say, this is too small. And one of those things was when people shared their screen on Zoom, I would realize like, oh, this text is way too small. I cannot see this. Like, can you email that to me instead? Um, so just everyone was learning as they went, um, both me and my professors. So that's how my like first year of grad school went um, with my accommodations. Wow, that's quite a year to start grad school, fall 2020. And then, you know, you mentioned that you weren't able to meet with people in person like you were used to before. And then on top of that, having that, you know, not being able to be on the screen for too long, I, I can empathize to the extent that I actually, if I'm on Zoom for too long, not only does it strain my eyes like everybody else, I have chronic dry eyes, so it definitely strains me, but I I'm very susceptible to migraines. And so being on the screen for too long actually can induce a very bad migraine. So I can only imagine if, if that's like the only method of communicating with folks aside from emailing is and all of those methods require a screen, um, just how much it tested you. And like you said, your independence. I'm wondering though, on the other end of things, so it's like you've been doing so much for yourself, advocating for yourself, communicating your needs it shouldn't just be all about you. What can other people do? So uh, my next question is what can non-disabled folks do? What can folks who work with students who have, uh, you know, who may have uh, different, a varied, you know, there's so many different types of disabilities, but what can non-disabled folks do to better support disabled individuals and students? Yeah. So just speaking for myself, it does mean a lot when someone who is not disabled kind of steps in and says that they want to learn more and they do want to support. So I would just say, just ask all the questions you have. And at least for me, I am very open to asking them. Um, I, I grew up with like, you know, like elementary students, they would make all these assumptions. Um, so I would appreciate more like questions like can you tell me more about what you need 
how can I support you? I, I really appreciate when people do that. And even though it might seem, seem uncomfortable, I completely understand. But I promise you that after just this first conversation you have with someone with a disability, every other conversation you have will become easier. I love that. I love that. Just being open to asking questions. Like you said, it can be uncomfortable and a lot of people try to avoid discomfort, which is why they avoid asking questions or sometimes they avoid individuals if they know that they have a disability. Um, but even um, asking that question, how can I support you? Um, I'll say from my experience as well has been really helpful to have someone not assume, but just ask and then offer support. Now, what um, advice would you give to other individuals navigating a disability in grad school? I mean, there's um, so many different types of disabilities, even like on my end, like I have a chronic illness. And for me, I get sick in the mornings a lot. Most of the time, I'm not feeling great in the mornings. And so like one of my accommodations that I have is that I don't have meetings or anything like that in the early mornings because I'm just not fully functional. Um, and so I'm wondering like, yeah, what advice would you give to other individuals who may, may be struggling or maybe, yeah, struggling to advocate for themselves or navigating a disability? Yeah, of course. So um, as kind of cheesy as it sounds, like um, those with disabilities, just um, do what works for you. Don't take others into consideration to like an extent. For, for my example, similar to yours, like I have to be very um, conscious of how long I have screen time. So if I know I have meetings, if I have classes, I block those out and I have to make sure that I also fit in time to do my readings and do my assignments. So that would involve me often starting papers about a month before it's due, just because I know I would have more meetings at the end of the month. And there are people out there who would tell me like, oh, you're such an overachiever. Like it's not due in a month. Like I'm just gonna pull an all-nighter. And <laughs> that that doesn't work for me. I'm like, laughing because I can relate to that too. <laughs> yeah, right? And people are like, oh, you're so organized. You do everything in advance. I'm like, cause if I did an all-nighter, I would have flare-ups and be sick for days. You know? Literally me, I was all like, mm, if I do an all-nighter, it's not gonna look pretty the next day. And my my eye doctor's not gonna be really happy about that. So like, I had to do what works for me. So exactly. if somebody tells you otherwise, like, oh, well, I'm gonna pull an all-nighter and I'm gonna do great. I'm just like, good for you. So just set your own boundaries and be very like uh, mindful of like how you schedule um that best accommodates your disability too and also communicate that with your professors um because if you communicate to your professors um it makes them more aware of how they can present the material in a way where everyone can understand and it will make them a better professor um because whether or not you have a documented disability everybody learns differently period um so just knowing yourself and then being open with your professors. And in terms of um, registering with the disabilities office at your university, know that the office can provide more than just accommodations. They can help you with financial aid or connect you into 
your um, desired career path. So just really build those connections within the disabilities office um, and just seeing what more they can offer aside from um, accommodations because they are to they are here to support you as a student and learning doesn't just happen in the classroom. That's not your entire university experience. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I think there is that misconception that you, yeah, you go to the, the disability services office and you're only there for accommodations and that's it. And, um, and there's also that misconception that, oh, like only, you know, certain individuals can go and get accommodations. Whereas like there's a whole wide range of things that you could get accommodations for based on your, the way that you learn, based on your abilities, based on whether or not you have you know, mobility aids or anything like that. So I'm really glad that you mentioned, can you expand a little bit more, maybe say some of the things that you know, like from your experience, like that you've been able to access in terms of resources? Yeah, of course. So when I was in community college, because I did start there before going to Cal State Fullerton, I was under the impression that I was just there for accommodations because that how that's how it felt like in K through 12. Like I only had my IEP for my classroom accommodations. But once I transferred to Cal State Fullerton, I had an orientation with the disabilities office and they were just promoting all these programs like oh we have a mentorship program we have um we have fine um not financial aid but they said like oh if you enroll with the department of rehab they can help you with um paying for tuition they had a workability program where they can refer you to a career specialist and those career specialists help students with disabilities find a job so once i transferred to fullerton i felt kind of like a weight off my shoulder because I was being supported beyond the classroom because I did have that kind of nervousness where when I graduate, like what's next? Because I'm still going to have that disability even though I'm not in the classroom. I have it with me in my job, in my home life. And they provided a lot for me. Even um, when I graduated college, they referred me to this transportation program because one of the things I'm unable to do because of my disability is drive. So they referred me to a program that covers all, they, they provide free transportation for those with a documented disability. Um, so that, that has been extremely helpful. Um, so yeah, just build those connections and ask what more they have because they will have resources for you based on your needs. That's really, um, that's really helpful. And you're right, um, I mean, at the end, you mentioned like, it, it can be um, nerve wracking, uh, or anxiety inducing just to think about, okay, well, I'm used to navigating school, you know, K through 12. And now I'm learning how to navigate graduate school. But then there's this whole world outside of that, that it's like, oh, okay, well, what am I going to do after I graduate? How am I still going to be able to make sure that I have the same type of accommodations or that I'm able to get my needs met after that in whatever job or whatever post-graduation endeavor, you know, is, is, is next for you. And you also have a home life and a social life and all these things. So um, I'm glad that you're mentioning that it's like important to tap in the into the resources and the networks while you have them, um, because then that will help you kind of nav navigate the next thing. I want to um, go into another question because you're talking about um, accessing resources and going to the disability services office. 
but not everybody chooses to disclose that they have a disability. So I've had this question asked to me more on more than one occasion where someone maybe is uh, navigating an invisible disability and they're wondering, I'm being asked in my graduate school applications if I have a disability, should I disclose? Because they're worried that maybe they'll get discriminated against or maybe they'll get treated differently in a negative way. Um, you know, what's your take? And I, I'll, I'll tell you that I usually say like, it's a personal decision, it's completely up to you. But I tend to lean on the side of you might as well disclose that way you have access to whatever it is that you need, that way you can better advocate for yourself. And also it's completely legal to discriminate. <laughs> so, you know, like that shouldn't be happening anyway. And if someone is not treating you well, then maybe that's not the place you want to go to, but that's my take. So I'm curious what your take on it is. I completely agree. And something that I like to tell other people is that their reaction is not your fault. So I am definitely more on the side of like, yes, disclose them. And their reaction is just going to reflect on them. It does not reflect on you at all. But I also understand that it takes some time to kind of get on terms and to actually have those words like come out of your mouth or on your paper, like, hi, I have a disability. I totally understand that's challenging. So I would say that if you're kind of in the process where you want to, but you're very hesitant, I think just establishing your support system and having you helping you get ready for that. So if you're like, if let's say you're an undergrad right now and you are in this position, um, I would say you can reach out to the ones who are writing your letters of rec or even your primary physician um, and saying like, hey, I'm applying to grad school. I'm in a position where I have to disclose my disability and I need your support in my application. I think that can really um, strengthen um, just the way that you um, approach yourself in your application. Um, and also it will kind of inform the admissions committee in the program that you're applying for. Like this person needs our support and this disability is not a like reflection of their accomplishments through GPA and such. So I, I do encourage you to get on your own terms at first and know that you're not alone. So find your support system. But um, once you do kind of overcome that process of disclosing your disability, um, it's off your hands at that point. And how they react is more a reflection of them and not you. You know, this is um, this is bringing me back to this conversation earlier about um, starting grad school, navigating grad school during a pandemic, um, and also kind of disclosing and sharing about this early on to your professors, like especially at the beginning before you even need something to come up or you need to request kind of support. Um, so you mentioned this, um, well, one, their reaction is not your fault, definitely. Like don't take it personal at all but also this question of documentation versus whether or not you need it because some, I, I think it's useful to mention it at the beginning of the semester or the quarter 
and see what your professor's um, policy is on it, because some professors are going to say, I need documentation, I need proof, you need to register with this office. And others might say, I don't need you to any, just let me know what you need and I will, I will accommodate you. And so I think that's helpful to know is like one, who are you working with and like what's their, their own internal policy on it. And then two, don't be afraid, like you said, I want to echo what you said, to build your support system and to have whether it, it's, it could be a medical doctor, it could be a specialist, it could even be a therapist. I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen, and even in my own personal experience, I've had a wide range of different um, medical professionals who have written letters to advocate to to prove because sometimes people don't believe you if you tell them that you have a disability especially if it's an invisible disability to like prove that you have these needs it's unfortunate that you have to uh, on in some occasions prove prove that and have documentation but it, it, it is helpful to have it when you need it so um yeah i i i was I guess we're getting close to wrapping up and I wanted to ask you if there's anything else that you wanted to share on the topic or that has come up for you in having this conversation. Um, I think I just want to reiterate what you had mentioned earlier about having an invisible disability. Um, I have to admit that I would consider my visual impairment invisible because if someone meets me, they don't see and face value that I have a disability. Um, I mean, until they look close enough into my pupils, but that's very rare. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, if I were to meet you in person, I don't think I would look at anybody that closely. Yeah, I'm just when people tell me that, I'm just like, why are you looking at my pupils? But all right, <laughs> yeah. that's a little close, but <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I've had people tell me like, oh, but I've never been evaluated or I've never been officially diagnosed for. Um, certain conditions like ADHD, but I noticed that when this happens, um, I feel this way. And I understand that also access to healthcare can be a barrier. So I'm um, just kind of having those open conversations with like professors and just expressing more of what you need. They are going to kind of rely on you and ask you like, how can I support you? because um, a different, I remember the difference between K through 12 and like college and grad school is that in K through 12 teachers um, are more like observant and they would kind of tax themselves and be like, oh, is this too small? Or, oh, like, is this good if you sit here? But um, professors tend to leave you at like, okay, what do you need from me? And then that's on you to be um, kind of more like detailed and disclosed of what you need. Um, so as I mentioned, and I'm not even just quoting myself, I'm quoting my professor that everyone learns differently, period, whether or not you have a disability. So if you just have that conversation with your professor, it will help them um, improve their classes and improve the way they teach and realize that there is more than one way to teach and disseminate um, anything on their curriculum because um, information should be accessible. It is not the professor's role to be a gatekeeper of um, materials. And I understand that not all professors are this open, but that's why you just have to keep speaking up for yourself and having a stable support system to help you with that too. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, it, it's hard to do this work because like you said, the 
first of all, you have to have access to to healthcare or to the resources, which is why I mean, I think a lot we're speaking to students, you know, and a lot of times once you're in college, you're required to have healthcare, so you do have access to certain resources, but then it takes time to schedule the appointments to meet with a specialist to get the documentation to get registered. And then sometimes, like you said, students don't even know what it is that they are um, struggling with. They just know that something's there, but they don't know what it is. They can't really identify it or name it. And I've witnessed students wait until it gets really bad and they're really struggling with their education and their classes to then finally go and, and make the appointments and get assessed. And then by the time they get the documentation, it's the end of the term. And so I, I feel like the, the earlier folks can do it and can start to advocate for themselves if they're just starting grad school or if they're, you know, freshman, sophomore year and undergrad, like it just er, the earlier on you do it, it doesn't hurt. I feel like it doesn't hurt to get assessed and doesn't hurt to, you know, meet with your doctors and make sure everything, you know, is OK. Um, but, yeah, I, I appreciate what you what you said about about that, that there are these barriers and these hurdles, um, but definitely like don't um, feel discouraged, especially while you're still a student and you still access, you still have access to those resources. Um, well, I think to wrap things up, uh, unless there's anything else that came up for you, I wanted to ask, how can other individuals contact you if they felt that they listened to this podcast and they resonated with what you said or they found the information really helpful and they wanna reach out to you, thank you. Um, yeah, what's the best way to reach you? No problem. Um, you can reach out to me on either Instagram or Twitter. They're the same handle. And that's E-M-B-E-E-E-Z-E-M-B-E-Z. So you can reach out to me there. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so I glad that you're you. going to, <laughs> to, to do this uh, once more and to have this really important conversation. When you reached out to me, I was so excited. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, because it's it's one thing for me to talk about it. It's another thing for someone else. I, it's, I always find that having guest speakers helps with reiterating and also uncovering kind of new levels of whatever topic and conversations that we're having. So um, it means a lot to me. I appreciate you and your time and hope that we can be in touch, Emily. No problem. Um, yes, this is definitely not our last conversation. <laughs> I, I definitely look forward to just connecting with you more. And to anyone listening, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anchor page, or Venmo account, which is at Grad School Fem Touring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at yvettemartinezvu.com. Until next time. <laughs>